السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته ইন্নাহমদুহ 
من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا محمدا عبده ورسوله يقول الله جل وعلا في كتابه الكريم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم وما يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم وشر الأمور محتثاتها وكل محتثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار أعاذنا الله وإياكم منها أجمعين أما بعد Dear brothers and sisters Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about our father Adam alayhi salam and our mother Hawa alayhi salam وَقُلْنَا يَا آدَمُ اسْكُنْ أَنْتَ وَزَوْجُكَ الْجَنَّةِ وَكُلَا مِنْهَا رَغَدًا حَيْثُ شِئْتُمَا He says subhanahu wa ta'ala O Adam, dwell, you and your wife, in the garden and eat freely thereof, wheresoever you will. After the creation of our father Adam alayhi salam, Allah created his wife Hawa as a partner, a zawj. And this creation of Adam and Eve and the pairing of them together took place in Jannah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew the ultimate destiny of Adam and what was to emerge from his offspring. And so the institution of marriage started with Adam and Hawa alayhimu salam. Now the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam told us that Allah created Adam's wife Hawa from one of his ribs. Hawa came from the rib, as the scholars say, because the rib is bent. And so likewise Hawa inclined like the rib inclines tamilu ila zawjiha she inclined towards her spouse and inclined towards her children likewise adam alayhi salam inclined towards her and in his inclination he is inclining and bending towards his own self since in reality she is part of him so when hawa was taken from adam alayhi salam Allah filled that empty space with appetite for her, with longing and love for her. This is the genesis, the beginning of the institution of marriage. Dear brothers and sisters, when Allah Ta'ala mentions this institution of marriage, the marriage of Adam and Hawa, He is reminding us that this marriage is a human norm from the very beginning of humanity. And it is the defining relationship 
that binds a man and a woman, creating a union from which offspring is born and by which civilization is built. Marriage is an institution found in virtually every civilization to nurture and preserve that civilization from corruption. The divinely imposed limitations on sexual activity permit societies to accumulate an enormous reserve of social energy, which finds its expression in creative growth intellectually, aesthetically, religiously, and socially. So a major part of creating a healthy civilization and a community is the creation of a healthy family unit through the act of marriage. But as we said in the previous khutbahs, dear brothers and sisters, we are facing an immense marriage crisis. We are challenged by many things. We are challenged by adherence to unhealthy cultural norms and expectations. We are challenged by the neglect of the Islamic standard for one's choice of partner. And we are challenged by a lack of emotional and spiritual maturity on the part of those who want to get married. Now, in the last two khutbahs, we spoke about the gendered nature of human beings as males and females, that gender is real, and that before one gets married, before one is paired with another person in the act of zawaj, one must embrace and develop themselves in their masculinity if they are a man, and in their femininity if they are a woman. And today, inshallah, we speak about what happens after that. We speak about the pursuit of positive pairing in seeking the right spouse. When we look at the nature of this deen and what it means to be a Muslim, we see that seeking punctuates every aspect of our life. Talab, it is one of the defining characteristics of the believer, seeking, going through life, seeking truth, seeking development of oneself, seeking the right spouse, seeking to develop the family and strengthen it, and seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the starting point is knowing how to seek and what to seek after. And the starting point of that is knowing what you want and having the right intentions beforehand. When a person is looking to get married, they should have certain intentions in mind. They should have the right intentions as they seek a spouse with whom those intentions will, inshallah, be fulfilled. And the ulama mentioned that there are generally six positive intentions one should have as they pursue marriage. They should intend marriage for the love of Allah and to fulfill the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. They should marry with the intention of making the Prophet happy on the Day of Judgment. For he said sallallahu alayhi wasallam, marry and increase in numbers for I shall take pride in you before the other nations on the Day of Judgment. Another intention in marriage is to be blessed with the du'as of our children 
and their intercession should they die before us. Another intention for marriage is to protect oneself from the whisperings of shaitan and from the impulses of the nafs, the carnal ego. And likewise, an intention of marriage is to train our character, to train our soul through care and guardianship of another, and to fulfill the rights of family, and to be patient, to develop our character through being with another person. These are the intentions we should have as we seek marriage. So when we understand the great amana, the great trust that marriage is, and we have these good intentions, we have to set about looking for that right spouse. And when a person is looking to get married and they're looking for that right spouse, they must understand that that is not the time to be hasty. That is not the time to rush into any decision. So if they shouldn't rush into marriage, meaning they shouldn't rush to just pick the first person that they meet, well, what do they do? They should engage in a vetting process. They should be clear about a vetting process and not get caught up in the emotions of the moment and just marry someone to whom they feel attraction. So a person has to apply certain filters as they get to know a potential spouse, man or woman. The most important filtering for a potential husband or wife is having a shared vision. A shared vision. To maximize your chances of success, you need to ensure that the prospective spouse shares your vision of Islam. If you value Islam as your deen, but your prospective spouse sees it simply as an identity marker and not something that's truly important in their life, how are you going to build a family with healthy Islamic values? You have a vision and their vision is completely different. You have to have a shared vision. Now, a few years ago, we gave a similar khutbah on the importance of spouses having this filtering process and shared vision. And a few of you asked me for more details about that filtering process. What should I filter for? What kind of questions should I ask? How should I filter for the right spouse? So I invite you, dear brothers and sisters, to consider the following points. And this is absolutely vital if you are looking to get married, and if you are already married, as so many of you are, this is very vital for you too, if you want to assist your son or daughter in that vetting process. So there are a number of filters we should consider. Filter number one is the filter of creed. The filter of creed, meaning aqidah, belief, conviction, what a person believes, what is their understanding of the core doctrines of Islam which establish one's iman. As you get to know someone in the process of potentially getting married, you need to ask them what they know about iman and kufr, belief and disbelief. At the very lowest level, they need to know Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
the basics of belief concerning matters of the unseen, and core conviction in these realities. That has to be there. You should ask them if preserving that iman and avoiding kufr, the opposite, is more important than any other cultural norm. Even if it's education, or job, or money, or family. And their response to those questions will tell you two important things. Depending on how that person answers these questions, it will tell you how much they know about the deen, and it will tell you how much they care about the deen. If a person is passive when answering these questions, it may come from a sheep-like conformity to whatever anyone else is doing around them, or severe negligence. For example, if you bring up basic deen matters, and they say, I haven't really thought about these things at all. Or if they say, meh, I don't know, what about you? And they move the topic and deflect, that's a bad sign. And my suggestion would be to run. Don't waste your time. So a person has to understand these matters. Concern about their own relationship with Allah should be there before you meet them. And in this filtering stage, as you get to know them, you really need to understand if they are on the same page as you and aligned with your values. Another example of this filtering on the stage of belief and understanding is seeing how they are uh, in their love and reverence for the Prophet Do they have ta'zim? Do they have reverence? Do they have love? Do they have respect for the station of Rasulullah That reverence will be shown through their speech, through their tone, their facial gestures, their body language, their written expressions. And even if they lack knowledge, the properly aligned Muslim, male or female, will always have a tone of respect when speaking about Rasulullah They will have an air of caution in how they speak about him That's a bare minimum. Someone I know shared that they were once talking with someone. And that person they were talking to said, I don't kill spiders because, you know, uh, uh, what, what's his face was protected by one or something. That's how the person described it. And this individual said, you mean the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? And the person said, uh, oh yeah, awkward. That was the level of respect they had for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. What's his name? Run. It is not the right person for you if they have that lack of reverence for him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So that's filter number one. Filter number one is based on belief and conviction and what they understand. The second filter is their Islamic learning and Islamic living. Not just knowing, but also practicing. You have to ensure that your prospective spouse knows 
some at least of the fardain the things that every single muslim should know belief and practice and they're at least aware that they know some but are lacking and need to learn more and they should have some seriousness when they talk about their need to learn more and grow now this also implies that you are striving to learn and practice your islam your fardain as well because you cannot expect someone to have it if you're negligent in it yourself and this is why we say time and time again that in this process of marriage self-development is paramount before the pairing so how do you know if that potential spouse is serious in the area of islamic learning and practice well that seriousness will show up in their written and verbal expression if they're not there yet but they're wanting to improve they will emphasize that they need to know more and that they have been negligent that they have lost opportunities that they feel bad for not having teachers and having made the effort they may express confusion but a deep desire to understand what's correct they'll express humility about their own ignorance that person might say i don't know much about islam except for the basics like the five pillars and that we should be pious god-fearing people and have respect for the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam i acknowledge that i need to learn more and i wish i had a map i wish i had a guide i want to know more but i'm a bit confused and i am afraid of not fulfilling my obligations i don't want to keep living like this i want to improve but i haven't yet seen the way to grow in my islamic learning if they express it like that that's good that's good because it comes from a place of humility and a desire to grow not an indifference but contrast that with the kind of response that indicates ignorance coupled with arrogance if your potential spouse has ignorance combined with arrogance and indifference to learning and improving themselves islamically that is a huge red flag and you should stop wasting your time move on the third filter dear brothers and sisters after the filter of creed and the filter of islamic learning and living is the filter of gender roles what is your prospective spouse's understanding of gender roles do they think that traditional gender roles are good or do they think that traditional gender roles are bad what are their views about the role of a husband islamically what are their views about the role of a wife islamically if they do not align with your understanding of the proper islamic norms between genders then it's not your job to fix them you should move on and find the right person for you the next filter after the filter of creed learning and practice and gender roles is a tough one and that is the filter of character the filter of character akhlaq the problem is dear brothers and sisters it takes time to learn about a person's genuine character and this is why one should not rush into marriage without proper vetting and filtering it is said that you do not truly know someone's character until you travel with them or do business with them 
because it's in those situations when you're on the road or dealing with them in money matters that the real version of them comes out. But in the absence of travel, in the absence of doing business, there are some other ways you can determine a person's character. Their true character will not be seen as they sit on your couch meeting your parents for the first hour. They're putting on their best performance, the best performance of their life. That's not how you get to know someone. One of the ways you can assess someone's character at this stage of the filtering process is to check their friend's circle. Investigate their friend's circle if possible. Go and look on their social media and see who are they friends with? What do they share? And who is commenting the most on what they write? And who do they comment on the most? What kind of pictures do they post? And do those pictures reflect what you are looking for? If they present themselves in one way, in front of you and your parents, but they present themselves entirely differently online, in their social network, or in real life with their friends, you should give consideration to this. It should give you pause. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, The person is on the religion of his friends. So if your potential spouse's friends are not the kind of people you would want to have as friends, they're not the kind of people who have values you would like to see in your life and your family's life, consider moving on. These are filters that apply to both men and women. And this idea of filtering is so important because it is taking the means. It is taking the asbab to assess the suitability of the person you're talking to about marriage. And these are means. And means are not always foolproof. But Allah Ta'ala commands us to take the means while simultaneously trusting in Him subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Muslim is always combining these two together. They trust in Allah Ta'ala and they take the means. And so these are just some of the means a person should use as they look for that life partner because this is the biggest, one of the biggest decisions they'll ever make in their life. It's not a time to rush. It's not a time to be hasty. It's not a time to be living in the clouds, idealizing the person you meet. You have to be very critical. You have to be careful. And you have to engage in a proper filtering and vetting process while asking Allah to protect you at the same time and trusting in Him. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us insight and facilitate for our young people to find good, pious spouses and enable them to use the means at their disposal to find the right person and bless them in their unions. Ameen. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Hamdan kathiran, tayyiban, mubarakan fi kama yuhibbu rabbuna wa yardah. والصلاة والسلام الأتمان الأكملان المتلازمان على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم أما بعد Dear brothers and sisters, in the previous two khutbas, we spoke about the importance of being aligned 
with our gender nature as males and females and developing ourselves before marriage. And a part of knowing ourselves before marriage is knowing what we truly value. And this includes knowing for us what are our non-negotiables. What are the non-negotiables? The things that we will not negotiate. The things that we will not budge on. The things that must be in place before we get married. The things that spouse has to have in place before there's even talk of marriage. You have to know your non-negotiables. The things you won't budge on. You have to know exactly what you are looking for in a potential husband or wife. And what you consider a non-negotiable, dear brothers and sisters, should be in the life of your prospective spouse before even hearing of marriage. For example, if someone does not pray their five prayers, they just don't pray. No salat, no namaz. But they come from a good family, as many people say. They don't pray, but they come from a good family. That is absolutely unacceptable. And one should not allow themselves to be pressured by family members into marrying such a person. Because one's children, one's future children, could end up following the example of that spouse that doesn't even pray. Prayer should be in their life before they even hear the word marriage. That's a non-negotiable. Of course, all of our non-negotiables should be in alignment with our Islamic values. But some of the non-negotiables are personal preferences. But you have to understand, dear brothers and sisters, that the reason why you have non-negotiables is because you, you are getting married. You are getting married. You are not marrying for the benefit of your parents or other family members. You have to live with this person day in and day out and build a family with them. So the choices you make should be based entirely on your self-interest. You should be selfish here. Selfishness is not really an Islamic value. It's generally a blameworthy character trait. But there are some matters where you are entitled to be absolutely selfish and making decisions about marriage is one of them. You should be selfish. You should also know your non-negotiables and know the things you prefer and also know the things that are important but not so important that you can't give them up. So how do you do this? One of the ways that many have advised is to sit for a moment and think about what you're looking for in a spouse and write down the description of the man or woman you're looking for as a potential spouse. Now, why do you write it down? The reason why you write it down, ideally, is because once you write it down, it becomes more concrete. The danger is that if you have an ideal image in your mind of the potential spouse, but it's just in your mind, it's very possible that as you meet the person, you might water down your standards because you get caught up in the emotions. You start to, you get attracted to the person. You're not seeing clearly. You start to water down those expectations and sacrifice what you consider really important. 
But once you write them down, you have to think more seriously about whether you should deviate from those standards. It makes them more concrete and objective. So you then measure that spouse, that potential spouse, according to an objective standard on paper. So this means that if you have a standard, you have to assess if they meet that standard. And the way you do that is by asking real questions. Now, one of the big problems we see in our communities is when people meet and talk about marriage, they're often very shy to ask the important questions because they're afraid of coming off as rude. They're afraid of asking something that they consider potentially embarrassing. But in the beginning, as you get to know a potential spouse, that's not the time to hold back. It's not bad adab to ask uncomfortable questions when the answers will directly impact your life for years to come. So you should ask that potential spouse, what are your expectations in marriage? What are your goals in life? What is the role of the deen in your life? What is your understanding of an ideal Islamic marriage? What's the role of a husband? What's the role of a wife? What is the relationship you have with your family? Who are your friends? Do you have friends of the opposite sex? That's an important question. What are the things you do in your free time? How do you express anger? How do you understand or approach finances? What are your financial goals? What are your ideals concerning raising children? How are you raised? How are you disciplined? Ask these kinds of questions to understand who they truly are and whether what they are reflects the ideal that you're looking for. Of course, no one's perfect, but we have certain minimums and non-negotiables. You cannot allow your feelings to cloud your judgment. You cannot allow the emotions to sacrifice your non-negotiables. And this is why, dear brothers and sisters, it is so important that you involve your family. This is also why women must have a wali. They must have a guardian to look after her and investigate the suitability of the prospective husband. And in this process, dear brothers and sisters, we have to recognize the red flags as red flags, as signs that we should not proceed, that we should move on and look for someone else. One of the biggest problems as people seek to get married is they know what the red flags are. They have their own red flags too. But as they get mixed up with the emotions and they have feelings for the person, they begin to ignore or minimize the red flags that they see right in front of them. Understand that it is not your job as a future husband or a future wife to fix your spouse. It is not your job to marry someone to fix them and make them pious. We benefit from each other in our good companionship. Husbands and wives help each other in their character, but the non-negotiables have to be in place beforehand. Don't ignore the red flags. Don't allow your desire to get married to cause you to drop your guard and fall into the delusion that you can improve on this person. You can fix this person. You can make them pious. The reality is, dear brothers and sisters, what you see is what you get. So choose accordingly.
And lastly, dear brothers and sisters, as we talk about marriage as a value, we also understand that marriage is a form of rizq. It is a form of provision from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah tells us in the Quran that there's not a single creature on the earth, animal or human, except that Allah takes care of its provision. This means that no matter how old or young one is, whether their siblings got married before them or not, these and other factors have no impact on the risk, the provision of Allah that is guaranteed, including the provision of marriage. And just as we are to trust in Allah for our risk, while also using the means to seek that risk, we also trust in Allah in the process of looking to get married while using the means to find the best possible spouse. Trusting in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, tawakkul is defined as taking the means while recognizing that Allah is the true provider. So everything I've described to you today, dear brothers and sisters, is all about the means, the asbab. Allah is the true provider. These are the means that we can take to find the right spouse. And you can take the means and still have marriage problems. But you take the means, you try your best, and you trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is why we have two key things when we are making a big decision. Istikhara, seeking the guidance of Allah in making a decision. And istishara, seeking the counsel and advice of people who know what they're talking about. People of wisdom and maturity, people of experience, people who can help us guide, guide us in our decisions, whether it is marriage or otherwise. So we trust Allah Ta'ala and we take the means. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to create within our communities healthy marriages, to improve the damaged relationships between spouses in our communities. We ask Allah Ta'ala to instill within our young people, men and women, insight and understanding and maturity as they express their gender nature in the best way possible and seek someone they compare with male or female as our brothers and sisters seek to get married. May Allah give them a blessed union and provide them spouses that will be a coolness to their eyes and a means of attaining the love of Allah and the pride and joy of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. May Allah give us maturity in how we speak about these matters and give us healthy relationships. Ameen. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fi al-akhirati hasana wa qina adhab al-nar. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin abdika wa rasulika al-nabiyy al-ummiyy wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallima tasliman kathira bi qadri azamati thatika fi kulli waqtin wahin. سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين وقوموا إلى صلاتكم رحمة الله